The 10th Collective is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design created to help connect Black designers searching for their next opportunity with the companies that want to hire them. So if you're a Black designer and you're looking for a new job, go to the10thcollective.com to sign up for free or check out the link in the show notes. Speaking of jobs, Revision Path's job board is now part of the 10th Collective, and you can go there to browse job listings, post your own jobs, and sign up for email updates when new job listings are posted. This week on the job board, Wheaton College, Massachusetts Department of Visual Arts and History of Art is looking for an inaugural professor of practice and design in Norton, Massachusetts. Launchpad is looking for a senior product designer in New York City. For more information on these listings, including DEI statements, qualifications, salary, and more, visit revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. We're here to help you find your next big opportunity today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Before we jump into this week's interview, I want to take some time and talk about one of our sponsors, Hover. It's the start of a new year, and you might have something new that you want to launch, like an art project or a podcast or your own website. Whatever it is that you're passionate about and you want to build online, Hover has got your back. Everything online begins with a domain name, and Hover makes the process of choosing and using your domain name a piece of cake. If you happen to get stuck, they have a best-in-class customer support team that can help you out every step of the way. And there's free Who Is Privacy, meaning you can keep your identity safe from hackers or other bad folks out there. Get started today with Hover by going to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with DMV-based visual artist, poet, podcaster, and creative coach, Sharon Burton. Sharon is also the founder of Spark Your Creative. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Sharon Burton, and I consider myself a creative Jill of all trades. <laughs> I am an artist, visual artist, and I'm also a poet. And for the last five years, I've been working as a creativity coach. Oh, nice. Or, yeah. Everything about me is very much on the creative side. You name it, almost I do it or engage in it or I'm a patron of it, anything of that nature. How has 2022 been for you? You know, it's interesting. I've been talking to a few people about that. I think overall, 2022 has been one of the most positive years in the last few years with the pandemic and all that's been going on. I think this has been a year that I've been able to 
really enjoy who I am as a creative person. I've been in part of all of those three things. I've had some positive things that have happened. I've been able to get into some exhibitions back to back, which is not always easy. I had my poetry as being was selected to be in a chapbook that includes other poets in this uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. So that's going to be published soon. I've made tremendous headway in a book that I'm writing, which we can talk about later. So there's been a lot of things that have happened. I think it's been a year where I was able to focus a little bit more on some things. And, you know, I did a lot of spiritual work on abundance early part of the year. And though it didn't show up everywhere I wanted it to show up, it did show up. So I can't be mad. I have to give thanks to the universe for allowing me to be able to share my gifts in so many different ways, whether it's coaching, whether it's doing my own stuff. I've been very, very blessed to have some good things happen. That's amazing. Were there any like particular lessons that you learned this past year? Like are there ways that you feel like you've, you've grown and improved? One of the biggest things that I've, I've been really focusing on this year is boundaries, because as a creative person, you can find yourself saying yes to a lot of things and wearing yourself out. <laughs> so being able to set healthy boundaries is probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned this year. I think the other thing is not to, I don't know how to say this, but sometimes you may not feel you're getting support for what you do. Mm-hmm. And to lay back and say, okay, understanding that those that will support you will support you regardless. And those who won't, won't. And not taking anything seriously. That's the other thing. Giving people grace, because I think one of the major things I think of this time in our nation's history and where we are going into 2023 is giving a lot of grace to people. You know, folks have really just been through it with this whole pandemic. And there's a lot of grieving, a lot of grieving, whether it's grieving our past way of life, whether it's people that have passed through COVID or other things. But I noticed people are really dealing with grief and grieving. And, you know, I think if you're not really grounded as to who you are as a person, this is a tricky time. And sometimes we can get impatient with folks. But if we give people some grace, knowing that people are doing the best they can with what they know, I think that's the most important thing. So that was the second lesson. I like this question. (laughs) No, because I was sitting there thinking the other day, okay, what were some of the major things that I've learned? And then I think the third thing is never too late. You know, sometimes we think that, and I work with a lot of people who are interested in their engaging their creativity or going back to something that they did creatively, you know, when they were younger, I work with a lot of people at middle age, and letting people know that, hey, it doesn't matter how long it's taken you to get to a certain point, as long as you're making strides to that. Those three things, boundaries, exercising healthy boundaries, 
exercising grace with people because we're reemerging and we're trying to get our footing, trying to get back. I think, and I think a lot of people think it's just going to be right back to what they used to do and how they did things. And a lot of people, I don't think really realize that what we, this is a new normal. It's not what you knew and how life was at 2018 is not what it's like now. (laughs) And if you're striving for that, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're open to new opportunities or new ways of doing things, it will be a, a better situation for you. But I think also being patient and showing grace to those like our friends and people that we know that are having difficulty and may not realize it, may yeah. not realize that they're they're kind of trying to navigate a new new world. And that means misunderstandings, that means emotional outbursts, that means, you know, a lot of things that maybe we didn't know Uncle Joe was that way. He seems so emotional now. And just sort of understanding that Uncle Joe is having doing the best he can navigating. So those and then the third thing was Yes, it's never too late. Yes, it's never too late. A lot of things that I felt was too late or I felt I was behind on, I was able to to move forward with this year. And I think that people need to know that we can't beat ourselves up over what may not have happened at a time that we felt it should have happened. I think we have to trust the universe that those things happen at the time that they're supposed to happen. So that's how I feel about that. Let's talk about your coaching business, which is called Spark Your Creative. Tell me about that. Well, Spark Your Creative is about working with people, primarily at midlife, those that are over 40, who want to either engage or reclaim their creative life. For example, if you gave up a lot of your creative life because you got married and had kids or you were kind of shuttled into a different career choice. Those of your listeners that may be in my age group that came up in the 80s, let's say, I graduated from high school in the late 80s and went to college in the late 80s. So during that time period, unless you came from a family that was extremely creative, we were not encouraged to go to art school or to engage in sort of these artistic kinds of endeavors that the millennials and generation Z is being encouraged to do. Now they're, you know, it's like, oh yeah, do it. You know, do this, do do what you want to do. But in those days, it was about our parents were about <laughs> you need to make money. Mm-hmm. And their viewpoint, and and nothing wrong with that, but that's just how it was at that time, you know, was like the starving artist stereotype. You're not going to make money. You're you need to go into business. And so it was all about business, engineering, healthcare, law, those kinds of activities was really big at that time. And so just like everyone else, I, along with a lot of people I know, did what we went to school to do to become employable. <laughs> so that's what we did. And so what I found as I went along is a lot of people were like me that just sort of got derailed from some of their more creative kinds of goals or interests. And I am there to help people kind of develop the confidence and 
saying, okay, it's, it's cool. You can do this. You can do this and help them come up with a plan to help them get back on the road to doing whatever it is that they're interested in doing creatively. So that might be if they were doing art, like visual art, if they were playing an instrument and was interested in going back to that, if they are interested in writing and writing a novel, maybe it's always wanted to write a novel, um, those kinds of things. So it's mostly cultural creatives, but I'm willing to work and have worked with people that, for example, wanted to start a podcast or wanted to put together a portfolio of their creative work. So it can go beyond just coaching and, and helping them unblock. It can go into some administrative things. That's what Spark Your Creative is designed to do. What does a like typical day look like for you? Because it sounds like with doing that kind of work, you're probably like really involved with your clients on a regular basis. It depends on the client and it depends on what's going on. If I'm working on, like, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. Mm-hmm. I've done several of that a course in that book. So sometimes it looks like making sure that people understand what the assignments are and giving them information such as the whole thing with morning pages, writing three longhand pages every morning. Some people, for example, are, they don't know what to write. (laughs) They're just stuck. So it might be providing in a um, private portal information and support resources for some of those students or clients or whatever you want to call participants in that course. It might look like sending an email following up on a client session. It might look like doing a call with someone, you know, via Zoom or meeting them. I guess I'm getting back to meeting in person. (laughs) So meeting them and talking with them about their creative goals and where they are. It might look like engaging people on social media. It might look like making sure that I get my newsletter out in time. It might look like doing a workshop or promoting a workshop. You know, it's all kinds of things that it, it depends on the day and what's going on. So that that's pretty much it. Now, you mentioned the book that you're working on. Are there any sort of other like specific projects you're doing through spark your creative like workshops or things like that? Yes. I'm getting ready to do another Artist Way course, but I'm going to call it Artist Way Light because <laughs> that's 12 pages and that's a long time to be in a course. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to cut that in half and I do that with Delray Artisan. So that will most likely be virtual so we can allow for people from different parts of the country to participate and looking to start that around March of this year. I think the other thing that I will be doing is creating a workshop or a course around my book, which will probably be launched maybe late spring or the fall. We're going to see how things go with the book. And one of the other things I do, I'm a yoga nidra guide. And so I don't know if you're familiar with yoga nidra, but It's basically a meditation style of yoga where you're not moving, you're just still and you listen to a person 
kind of lead you through several levels of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And it's a great tool for people who are creative and would need to be, you know, need a way to unblock. And so I plan to do more of those. I was doing them around the, oh, the full moon or not, not the full moon, the new moon each month. So I may be doing that again, or might be doing it more around the solstices. So We'll see how that goes. So those are just a few of the things I'm going to be doing. And you also have a podcast, too. You're doing a lot. Yes, I have a podcast, and that's the Spark Your Creative Podcast. And the one thing I love about that podcast is that it gives me an opportunity to talk to creatives in real time about a variety of different subjects regarding creativity. And I've done some series dealing with everything from creating and during uncertain times, particularly in the midst of the pandemic and the social upheaval and trying to help creatives stay focused. Filling the well is one that I did that is focusing on self-care for yourself and staying mentally and physically and emotionally healthy so you can create. But then I also interview people on a variety of different topics that are of interest to creatives, whether it's creative anxiety, whether it's working with essential oils, whether it's working with other, working in a creative community, just a variety of different things. And it's one of my favorite aspects of my business. And it's a a wonderful way to outreach to people on topics that they may not hear otherwise You know, there's a lot of, of course, creative podcasts out there, but I like to think that I do it kind of unique. And I try to to engage and invite guests that are in the age group of my target population so they see themselves or hear themselves talking about these different issues. Well, that sounds great. I'll make sure that we include a link to the podcast in the show notes so people can get a chance to, to check it out. Sure. So when you're starting on a, a project, and it sounds like there's a lot of projects that you're working mm-hmm. on, what does your creative process look like? That's interesting. I think it really depends on what it is and what's driving me and inspiring me at the moment. For my business, a lot of my inspiration comes from the input I get from clients and people that engage in my workshops. So if they talk about something or share a source of frustration or something that they need help with, that helps me to create programs, workshops, the book that I can provide them as a way of support. And so once I get the ideal, it's just sort of mapping it out, talking to people, you know, what would be engaging to you? What format? And then go with that. And that might be a podcast. It might be a blog. It might be a workshop. So it depends. And most likely, there's probably at least two out of the three that I do. It could end up being a podcast and a blog or a workshop and a podcast or, you know, some variation of the three. So once I get the ideal going, you know, I just map it out and and let it flow. Sometimes it can be really quick. Like if I do blog topics, you know, I just knock it out in in an hour or so. Mm -hmm. If it's a podcast ideal, 
that would take longer because I'm usually looking for someone that could really be engaging or has a perspective that I think that would be of interest to people. So they would be able to to listen and, and find that person interesting. And by the way, with blogs, I mean, um, podcasts, I don't do like famous people. I mean, if I do, I have interviewed a few popular people in the creativity field, but for the most part, I just try to do everyday people mm-hmm. because I want my audience to know that it's not about popular people who have resources and all this other stuff that can do these things. I, I want people that sound like them. I'm balancing taking care of my grandma or my mother and getting these kids into college and those kinds of people. So yes, there are some people that appear on there that, you know, if you're uh, in the creativity field, but for the most part, my audience is not necessarily following those people. They Mm -hmm. may not even know who they are. I know them, but (laughs) they're not impressed by that. Yeah, They're impressed with the topic and the podcast that I have with regular people just sharing their truth is the ones I get feedback on the most. So, yeah. Now, as far as my own creative practice with my art, I decided to focus on sort of looking at like the 40s, the 50s and the 60s, which wasn't that long ago. But those were crazy and very dark and it could be very dark times with the exception of the 60s with, you know, civil rights really coming into view and things moving and changing. But particularly the 50s, the 40s and the 50s, because and even earlier, because there was so much going on, there was lynchings that were still happening. There was, you know, a lot of violence, a lot of miscarrying of justice and I wanted to find photos where people were smiling, where people were showing joy, because it was a reminder to me that despite what I feel is like crazy town right now, (laughs) you know, these people, my ancestors, your ancestors, people that we are relatives, people still found a way to find joy through those dark times. And if they could give us an example about how they use joy as resilience, as a way of resilience, that could kind of inform us. So I started the series called Joy and Resilience. And it's been a blessing because those works have been placed in a lot of different exhibitions. And I'm still working on it. I'm still creating work as part of that series. And so, you know, when I think of my creative process, the social unrest, all of that, you know, because that was new to your generation and mine. We didn't experience all that. You know, I was born in the 60s, so I wasn't conscious when a lot of things were going on. It's been my way also of feeling some sort of kinship with my ancestors and with others saying that, okay, you know, we'll survive this. We'll survive this. So, that inspired my creative process and that inspired the photographs that I chose and the kinds of images I wanted to convey with those art, with that art. Poetry has been a little different. <laughs> it seems like relationships <laughs> kind of got, got to that. It was my way of dealing with relationships that went sideways or relationships that I was enjoying. It just seems like whoever I'm dating and not everybody, but certain people I've dated have been the muse for me 
to share my thoughts in writing. And that out of all of the different creative processes, that's been the most spontaneous. That's like you get on the subway or the metro here and I take my phone, something will come in my head and I'll just write it all out. That's how it comes to me for the poetry. So that's funny because that has a whole different muse. That has a whole different process where the others have a little bit more, I don't know, research or contemplation to it, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I mean, I think it's really interesting that your different creative practices kind of have these different, I don't know, sources of inspiration, I guess. Yeah. And ways of showing up. You yeah. Know? But I think it's, I think it's cool. And that makes things so much so interesting. Yeah. Well, let's kind of learn more about your origin story. I mean, you, you know, kind of alluded a bit to it just now earlier, but tell me about like where you grew up, where you're originally from. Well, I was born in the Philadelphia, but I was raised primarily in upstate New York near Syracuse, New York. Okay. Anything about that part of the country or that part of the state, which is what they call central New York, central upstate New York. So I went to school and graduate from high school and all that up there. My parents were very encouraging to me with art. I think that your parents have great things and not so great things. But one of the great things about my parents were they created a atmosphere for me to be a creative being. And so I really give them props for that because I hear a lot of people talk about where their parents didn't seem to encourage them to create at all, but that was not the case in my household. So, yeah. And then I went to college in Virginia at St. Paul's and that was sort of the point where I kind of got derailed from the whole art thing. Even though they encouraged that, it was not something, it was more or less, at least with my dad anyway, that, you know, if you're going to do college and if I'm going to pay for it, <laughs> um, <laughs> art thing is nice, but maybe you take that up later. Mm. I want to see you. I think you should consider a major that you're going to make some money and be able to live. And so I ended up getting going and getting a business degree in marketing. And then I worked for a while after that, uh, when I was in college, I didn't do any art stuff at all. No mm -hmm. art. A lot of my peers did not know I was an artist until really in the last 10 years. <laughs> they didn't know, oh, you wow. know, because of Facebook, they didn't know. And a lot of people were shocked about it because I didn't do it while I was there. It just, I don't know. I think about that sometimes, but um, anyway, I went to work in the public sector that was not planned. I was planning to work in the corporate and private sector, but I had opportunities in the public sector. So I did that primarily in uh, public health, which was very different than my major. But I had a love of that, particularly social marketing, which was before the term before uh, social media. But social marketing, you know, and you probably know a lot about that anyway, about you know, the types of campaigns and stuff that focus on behavior change. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that. And so after I lived in Richmond, Virginia for a few years and then decided to get my master's, I went to Clark Atlanta 
and I got a job down there too. So I was working and going to school and I really liked the public sector. So I got my master's in public administration there, but that's when the whole art thing started coming back. I was working, had graduated and started working for a major government agency down there. And every time, I don't know if you're based in Atlanta or know Atlanta really well, but at that time they had Atlanta School of the Arts there. Mm -hmm. And every time I would come downtown, I lived in the burbs, but I'd come downtown to go somewhere or whatever on 75 South and right there were 75 and 85 merges. If you're coming from the north, if you look on your right, you'll see the school. You would have saw the school uh, title. It's now uh, Savannah School of Art or part of that. Mm-hmm. And I used to be like, I started getting these little kind of like little taps in my head, I guess. I don't know. It was just like this little voice would say, OK, you need to sign up for some classes over there. and I was like what you know and it would always happen and it got to the point I wouldn't even look at the school Mm -hmm. you know because I'm like I I can't do this I'm and at that time I was in my early 30s so I was like you know now it's nothing but at that age I felt like oh I'm gonna be the oldest one in the classroom and what makes me think I'm an artist and maybe that was just in my head you know how can you call yourself an artist you haven't done this stuff and You're not an artist. You're just going to make a fool out of yourself. And that's, you know, and it kept me from doing it. But on a dare, a very good friend of mine at the time when I was, I think it was the summer before I started working at the agency or before. Anyway, we were working together on a project and she kind of dared me to volunteer for the National Black Arts Festival. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yeah, uh, yeah. And that year, it was interesting because there was a lot of stuff going on. I had been working so hard, I didn't even realize that that was part of the culture down there. Mm-hmm. And somehow she brought that to my attention. And I was like, okay, cool. We signed up and I became a docent for one of the exhibitions. Actually, it was a doll exhibition, which was interesting because my sister ended up <laughs> taking up creating dolls, which was That's a whole, now that I think of it, that was so wild how that happened. But I also went to Clark Atlanta has a a gallery. Mm -hmm. On Park Street. Yes. Mm -hmm. And went there and they were talking about the exhibition that was there. At the time, it was to preserve a legacy, which was artwork from a number of historically black colleges and universities from across the country. I mean, it was just a jaw dropping. For me, it just changed everything. (laughs) That's all I could say. Mm -hmm. I I learned so much about the art and about these different colleges collections. I went through the little docent training over there at Clark Atlanta and the stuff that they were saying. And, you know, they're talking about these pieces and these artists. And I went to lectures at Spelman that they had that summer with different artists. I mean, it just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And there was something that was lit inside of me. And that the following year or two, I ended up moving up here to take a job in uh, Washington, D.C. And within two years, I think two or three years, I started taking art classes. One starting off at the Smithsonian 
and then some of the local art centers in this area and uh, start showing my work. But yeah, Atlanta was like it for me. That whole thing was just, it was just unexpected. You know, every time I think about it, a smile comes on my face because I was like, <laughs> it was just so much fun. And we were around all these different people and I was learning so much. And I was, it was just sort of like, wow, you know, all this is going on. Mm-hmm. But that's how it happened. Wow. So as you're mentioning all of this, I mean, I live in Atlanta. I live near the AUC. So I know about Spellman. I know about Clark. I know about the church over on Park Street where Clark Atlanta's art department is. Even the National Black Arts Festival. I don't know if, does the name Leatrice Elsie, does that sound familiar to you? No. She was the executive director. I think she still is the executive director. She was there for a while, at least when I was working with the National Black Arts Festival. I don't know if it doesn't sound like she might have been af- affiliated with them yet, but I am familiar with the National Black Arts Festival. It still takes place here. I think it still does. But yeah, it's so interesting how Atlanta kind of, I guess, I don't know, sparked your creativity in a way. Like you were looking at seeing the Atlanta College of Art and then you're getting inspired by Spellman and by Clark. That's really, I really love to hear that. Because I think when people think of HBCUs, they don't necessarily think of like design and art and creativity. And it sounds like for you, it was kind of the opposite. Like you really kind of got inspired by that. Well, you know, it's interesting because art and creativity apparently was very much a part of a lot of these schools. And it's kind of interesting because when I was working with that particular program and learning so much about these different HBCUs and how they had really thriving art programs. And there's a lot of, uh, there was a few renowned African-American artists that were working at these schools. I was like, wow, this is some serious stuff. And it's not something that, as you said, that's really talked that much about. And that was the magic to preserve a legacy, that particular exhibition. And I still have the book from the catalog from that show and the poster. And matter of fact, when you first enter my home, that's the first thing you see is that poster. Oh, nice. Uh, which is, you know, and it, it just sort of kind of gives me a sense of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I will also dare say it's interesting, though my college was not represented in that exhibition, art was very much a part of that years ago. I happened to, matter of fact, a uh, weekend before last, some sorority sisters and I, we all pledged together, we kind of did a reunion weekend. And one of the things that we did was went by a uh, program office that's affiliated with the the college. The college has closed, but they still are working on a a number of different projects down there. And they just reopened a portion of St. Paul's and we went to visit. And it was interesting. There was these old yearbooks that they had around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had a chance to read through them. There were some from my era. And I was like, oh, I guess we're (laughs) archival. (laughs) But there was some older ones. And there was one, and there was also some photographs and information about an artist in residence that was at St. Paul's and how this artist was working with the students on a lot of art projects and everything. And I said, wow, this is something, you know, art has always been a part of 
African-American culture and a part of the academic or academia. And it's something that I think, as you said, you know, we don't talk about it that much. I think the last time I did see something was I was in New Orleans. One of the historically black colleges there had the work of their students at one of the, you know, the museums downtown. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really cool to see that. And I can't remember which school or which museum, but it was good to see that. So I think that's something, um, as you said, you know, I would really like to see, there's a lot of emphasis on HBCUs right now. And I really would like to see somebody really revitalize that particular exhibition, maybe put a different twist to it, maybe include more contemporary artists than what they had and in the traveling show back Mm -hmm. then, because there's a lot of, you know, younger artists that are in different generations that I think should be showcased and to let people know that, Hey, you know, a lot of art and culture is based at HBCUs. So I think that that's definitely something to think about. Yeah. I think that would be fantastic. Definitely. I I would love it. Oh gosh. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. So you got inspired in Atlanta, you moved up to the DMV. What kind of made you decide to to strike out on your own with starting Spark Your Creative? Well, prior to once I got here, I was involved in another entrepreneurial effort. That one, it actually had two, well, it was the first iteration was Authentic Art Consulting, and then it was uh, Artinista Art Advisory. And Both of them were focused more on, well, the first one was focused more on working with artists and art locations to put together curated art shows of emerging artists in the D.C. area. So I was doing a lot of art exhibitions and collaborating with different people on creative activities and showcasing visual art and visual artists in this area. And then I decided I wanted to focus more on the collector, making sure that art education for the collector. So I started the Artinista Art Advisory primarily was to focus on women who wanted to add art to their, you know, their portfolios as a way of investment. And so I did those And then I became, I guess the word disenchanted with the art world. Well, it's funny. I had hurt my back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, these things start with weird situations. I hurt my back um, (laughs) in 2015. And, you know, I found myself basically flat on my back trying to heal. Yeah. And something just told me this is not for me. The art world is a little, you know, I don't know if you're involved with fine art world where you are, but, or know how that world works, but it's a very, it can be glamorous, but it can be very cold Mm. and it can be a, a little cutting too, if you don't know what you're doing. And I became disenchanted with some of that vibe and I felt, you know, I wanted to continue to work in the field, but I just didn't feel like I wanted to do exhibitions anymore or interface with museum people and galleries. And yeah, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And it was wearing me down. 
And I didn't think my personality fit that. I'm more of a touchy-feely girl. I wasn't hardcore. You know, I was really into the artists and what their vision was and not necessarily, well, you got to sell this stuff and, you know, it just wasn't working. So, and, you know, a few things had happened and I'm like, "Eh, I don't think so. And so I really had been toying with the fact of creativity coaching and I've known about it, but I just didn't and kind of looked at it, but never followed through. And so I decided to do it because I was like, a lot of artists were kind of talking to me about how to do things. And I felt that worked more with my personality than working on that side. So I became certified and start working, kind of doing workshops and stuff, kind of in that, that rain, that area. And I just enjoyed talking to artists and just enjoyed that whole process. And so it worked out well for me. And I think that's something to say, too, when it comes back to it's never too late or whatever. If you got to pivot, pivot. I think sometimes people get and it was hard because people knew me in one area. Some people were a little resistant to deal with this other area. So rebranding yourself can be tough. But my thing is do it. Do it if you need to do it. You know, and I probably will rebrand again. One of the things that I'm really interested in outside of really dealing with artists and working with them is also working with regular folks and lay folks to kind of deal with some of the stuff that's going on where people need a way to express themselves, whether it's grief, whether it's whatever. And so that's probably a new direction that uh, I'll be going on in some way in the next two years as well. There's always something going on with Sharon Burton. (laughs) (laughs) She's always thinking about something. You know, I'm glad you mentioned this part about pivoting. We had someone on the show a couple of episodes ago, Nikita Pope, who was also talking about kind of the power of pivoting and, and knowing when you have the opportunity to do so and just going kind of forward with it. I think that takes a lot of, I think it takes a lot of confidence to be able to do that, you know, and I think, you know, we're releasing this episode kind of at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. It seems like you have a boundless supply of creative confidence, just from what you've talked about so far. Like for people out there that are listening, like what advice would you give them to kind of build their confidence up and kind of help like engage their creativity? I think one of the things that I try to make sure people understand that we're all creative. And that might sound trite and all that, but it's really true. We all have creativity inside us. It's whether or not we want to engage that, right? So my thing is acknowledge that you are creative no matter what, even if you can't draw a straight line or play an instrument or I can't do, get rid of all that because you are creative. I tell people, for example, I know people that are great with their makeup. I mean, this is a weird situation, but it's an example. People are artistic with women that put eyeshadow on and eyeliner and all that. You know, that's a a form of artwork. Mm -hmm. It's a, a form of adornment. And so if you can make your eyes and, you know, shade that those colors and make everything pop and sing and whatever with your face, you can do art and I oh, and people don't even think about it, but you know, it shows up in different ways. So the first thing is acknowledge 
that you're creative. The second thing is just like they talk about in business and it doesn't, and I'm not saying art has to be a business, but also think about this. What is your why? A lot of people are saying that now. What is your why? Why are you doing this? Well, what is it? What is your why? Why are you thinking about doing something creative? Is it just a stress reliever? Is it that, oh, I want to show my work in a gallery or I want to recite poetry at these spoken word things? Or is it just, I just want to share it with my family? Be clear on what your why is. And because I say that, because some people, when it comes to creative kinds of endeavors, you automatically find yourself comparing yourself to other people. And when you compare yourself to other people, that tells me that you're lost on what your why is, you know, because if you're doing this for you or you're doing this to fulfill a dream that you have, it's not about all these other people. But if you find yourself getting frustrated because, oh, she just posted that on Instagram and that's way better than mine and I ain't going to show that. Was that your why? Were you going to be competing against these people or do you saw yourself that? Or were you saying, I want to share my art with the world? I want to make people happy. If you're not clear on your why, you can get derailed very easily. And yes, there's always going to be somebody better than you, whether it's music, poetry, dance, you name it, graphic design. There's always going to be somebody better than you. But is that what your what is that your goal to do this? Is it for joy? Is it because you want to exercise creative freedom or whatever? Be clear on that because that's going to be your North Star when things don't go so well. And then I think the other thing is, is to find a community or a group of people that are doing what you're interested in doing and get involved with them. That could be an art group. It could be a music group. It could be a poetry group and make sure that they're supportive of you. You don't want something that's like people are just like way advanced and you're coming in as a beginner, but you want a group that's that maybe takes people at different levels that provide workshops and professional development and support for you. That's something that I really recommend. I wish I could have done that a little earlier than what I did. I think the other thing is just to go ahead and try and just find ways to carve out time in your schedule, whether it's daily or weekly to get it done. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't have time. Yeah, you do have time. You have time when you're scrolling your social media. You have time when you're (laughs) doing all these other things. It's putting it on your calendar and making it a priority just like anything else and finding ways to do that. So those are my tips. Those are some good tips. I like that. I think it is important to kind of really, it's funny you say like, what is your why? I know in business, I think they call that like your USP, your unique selling proposition or something like that. But finding out the why behind why you're doing what you want to do is important because that really is going to fuel you when, you know, perhaps it's not taking off in the way that you want to, you know, maybe it's not becoming an instant success or you're not instantly getting some sort of acclaim for it. But if you have an underlying reason and a passion behind why you're doing it. That's what will fuel you. Definitely. And again, instead of, because it's just when you don't have a why you get derailed easy. Some one person says something about your art and then you ain't doing it no more. I'm not an artist. You know, you have to be clear on what your why is. 
and let that be your guide. And a note on that, we have critics and we have people that provide healthy advice. And you're going to get judged putting your stuff out there, whether it's poetry, writing, music, if you're into performance, you're putting yourself out there. And yeah, it takes a certain amount of bravery to do it. I have gotten to the point I don't care (laughs) 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 what people think, you know, and I guess maybe I've also developed a style that has improved over time. But what gets me is that when I get into a juried show, that means somebody has picked my work and they think it's good enough to be a part of this show. And that to me is important. Whether it sells or not doesn't matter to me. My thing is being shown. I am contributing to the world with my art. Someone sees it. Mm -hmm. And that's important to me. If I sell it, that's just a piece of cake. That's icing on the cake. But if I don't, I don't let it bother me because eventually I do sell it or I give it as a gift or, you know, it ends up being donated somewhere. It gets a home. I'm also lucky that I don't rely on my art to live. Maybe I would be a little different if that that was the case, but, you know, I'm blessed to be able to create. I'm blessed to be able to take a theme and interpret that and put that out there for people. That's good for me, but that's my why. My why is about providing beauty, about sharing my gift to the world. Whether you see it as a gift or not, I don't care. But it's (laughs) taken me a while. I mean, because I used to feel some kind of way about my art. But I also know I've improved. And that's the other thing, too. If you feel that you're you're not at the level you want to be, you can always take classes in anything. And now it's even so if you don't find something near you, you can take something virtually. You know, it's not like it used to be where, well, nobody's doing violin lessons in this area. Well, you know, get online, see if somebody's doing it on uh, Zoom or something. There's a lot of lot more more opportunities than there used to be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned earlier that you're, you know, in the process of writing a book. Is the book going to be about this kind of thing about inspiring people to pursue their creative dreams? Oh, most definitely. This is a book of affirmations and creativity tips for creatives at midlife. And it actually deals with a lot of common things that creatives deal with, whether it's dealing with certain blocks, uh, naysayers, you know, people that talk about them or they're not encouraging of their creative life. And then it has affirmations. And I also encourage you to create your own affirmation. So it's not just, okay, I'm just going to use the affirmation that she puts in there. No, I have some journaling exercises where I ask you, take a look at, okay, if it, if it was a naysayer, where did you hear that before? Who was the first person that said something crazy about your art or your creative endeavor? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then one thing that people don't pay attention to, let's say on uh, Facebook or something like that, you know, people post things and there's always somebody that says something positive about what you post. Right. Yeah. But we don't pay attention to that. <laughs> I dare, we don't, we get caught up in this person over here that says something negative. And so my thing is go on your page, go on wherever you are. And last time, you know, even if you emailed it to somebody and they said something, you know, let's write down what those folks said, because those are the people that are in your corner. And those are the people that are talking to you. 
in a positive way and encouraging you. And those are the types of messages you need to hear. So that's like an example of that. And then I challenge people to write their own affirmations based on those those messages that they can see and they can put up in their studio or whatever and, you know, wherever in the house that reminds them that they are worthy and that they are a creative and they are what they're doing is positive and good. So that's what the book is about. What do you appreciate the most about your life right now? I mean, I feel like you're kind of in this renaissance period almost with all (laughs) these creative things that you're working on. Mm, That's a very good question, Maurice. I think I'm at a place where I can show up the way that I want to. Mm. It's taken me a long time to do that. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I was not comfortable showing up as a poet or as an artist. I didn't even think I was really an artist. I just thought, well, that must have been something I like to do, but that doesn't mean I'm an artist. Yeah, no, I was an artist. I am an artist. I, I like the fact that I can do poetry I can do art, two things that I, I truly love. And even writing, you know, this has been probably, writing this book has been probably one of my mm, most challenging things I've ever done. And I don't know if you've ever written a book, but it is no joke. It it's really not. Is. I'm working on my book now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, no joke. It is, it is no <laughs> joke, okay? You know, and procrastination and you know, all the stuff that goes... And then, you know, you go through, I probably go through now, maybe because this is new, this is where my creative confidence is not as strong, maybe as it is in those other areas, but it's also new and it's also different. So, but I think the thing I do like now, if something, not that I'm wishing anything to happen, nor am I bringing that energy in, but if something were to happen to me, I think I can say I am at a point in my life where I'm not afraid of my self-expression, whether people like it or not. Mm. And I think to get here, it took a long time because it took a lot of courage. It took a lot of work on myself and self-awareness period to be able to express myself in two ways that I love. Even though I did visual art first, I did write a lot as a teenager, as a a preteen and teenager, I wrote a lot of, they were actually song lyrics. They were music in my head and I would just write the words to them, but poetry, that's what it is really. And uh, so I was doing both since I was very young and to return to it and to return to it in the way that I've had, which is beyond my expectation or my dreams to me is awesome. It's just awesome to be in exhibitions, to have my poetry in a a chat book with some other poets that I admire and have that published without me contributing any money. Um, (laughs) 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 Hello. All of that. It's magic. It's just beautiful to me. I feel really humbled that the universe has allowed me to do that. And, you know, a lot of people, they get my age and they've never done any of those things. And, you know, and that's why it's so important to let people know that you can do that. I'm nothing special, except that I had the time and a little bit of the resources to make some things happen. And some things I just fell into, like the poetry book, 
I fell into that group. I didn't even know when I joined them. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they were trying to put together a book. You know, I just was in there and nobody said nothing. You know, they just, we just talked and, you know, next thing I know, they they say, all right, we're going to get the book together. I'm like, what book? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> so, you know, I think sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time with the right people. And it's okay. It's, it's just, I'm not trying to be at Art Basel, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in Miami or at the art fairs in New York. I mean, if that happened, that's beautiful. But that's not what I'm doing all this for. I'm doing it for me. It's, I'm doing it to to share my love to the world and to be able to do that in two things I love. Oh, not many people can say that. That's true. I'm blowing my own mind right now talking about <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I haven't even thought about that question. Well, but that's serious. That's a serious question. Well, well you know, to that, a lot of people can't say anything about that. Yeah. I mean, well, to that end, like where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like what kind of, work do you want to be doing? What sort of new work do you want to be doing? That kind of thing. Well, I think what I'd like to do is, of course, continue with both the the poetry and the visual art. With my business, I'd like to expand that to be more therapeutic for people because we've just gone through so much right now. And no matter who you are, what your color is, your background, we all have survived a very major upheaval in time. And we, I I sometimes, I don't think there's enough support for people. There's not enough therapy. There's not, and and some people aren't comfortable with traditional kinds of things. And I think I want to be in a position to help people work through their self, to open themselves to self-expression in a different way. I have a very good friend of mine who's been through a lot. I feel he has problems expressing himself and processing a lot that has happened to him. And I think if he were to do something creative, I think he would find a way to express himself and lift that load without feeling too vulnerable. And I think a lot of people are like that. Some people are in denial that they're not happy or that they're not able to, you know, I I know another friend who's, she's very stoic and kind of comes off as if, well, you know, these things happen and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but you just lost your mother and, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. COVID and, you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, she acts like she didn't lose her mom or any. I mean, she's upset about it, but it, it, you can tell she just pushes and pushes, but she's not expressing herself. She's not letting it out. Yeah. And that causes conflict with people, you know, and people will say, well, so-and-so is a B and blah, blah, blah. Well, th- they may not really be that way. They're just not expressing themselves about the grief and the hurt and the trauma that they experienced over here. And they may be using you as a punching bag, Because that's the only thing that they can do. That's the only thing they feel comfortable doing. So I think a lot of people could use art in a way, because when you express yourselves artistically, sometimes, yeah, you're vulnerable, but it's, it's a different kind of vulnerability than you saying, I'm drowning over here. I need help. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think particularly uh, my generation, we, we don't, do a lot to take care of our mental health as we should. I think we're learning to from the younger generation and getting a clue, but 
you know, I think men and women need a lot of help. They need to work through their grief. They need to work through their anger. And a lot has happened even before COVID and all that. But I always tell people, COVID brought out everybody's inner child. <laughs> and whatever you were dealing with as a, as a child, COVID came right on out when people were told, <laughs> you stay in and wear a mask and stay six feet away from people. You know, people fought it. You know, they fought that. And then those that didn't fight it, now that we're coming out of it, it's coming back, you know, the pent up stuff. And if you're not aware of what was going on with you as a kid, you know, I'm not a therapist or anything, so please. But we have to be aware of ourselves. We have to be aware of what our triggers are. And I think that art is one way that you can get it out without harming other people. You know, it, it's it's a good way. So I, I see myself doing more on the ther- a little more therapeutic side. I really want to do expressive art and work with people on on that. I think that that that's needed, and I think that's going to be needed for some time now. So yeah. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and about? your work and everything, where can they find that online? Well, if you're interested in the creativity coaching, you can find me at Spark Your Creative on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm mostly, well, I'm on both. So that's a good place to find me. My website is sparkyourcreative.com. You can join my email list and you can get information and tips and all that wonderful stuff there. If you're interested in my artwork, you can find me at SJB Creates and also my poetry there. And you can find me there on my Facebook or on uh, Instagram, SJB Creates. And that's a private account. But if you request, I'll be more than happy to add you on. And then my website for my artwork is SJBCreativeArt.com. All right. Sounds good. Well, Sharon Burton, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I could not think of a better way to start off the year with like having someone that has such a wellspring of creativity to share with people. Like hearing your your confidence about your creativity, I think it certainly is inspiring me. I hope it inspires other people out there as well to really get out there and start to do their own thing as well this year. So Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I uh, This has been one of my favorite podcast interviews, actually. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you had me thinking. Uh, so I do appreciate that. And I look forward to um, you know hearing from some of your listeners about their thoughts, about their own creativity and how they express themselves. I think it's it's an important thing. Big, big thanks to Sharon Burton. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sharon and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is sponsored by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With best-in-class customer service, free Whois privacy, and more, 
Hover is there to help you bring your online dreams to life. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you like this episode, let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Revision Path. Or you could follow us on Spotify or Amazon Music or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you really want to show your support for Revision Path, then you should pick up some of our merch. Get a nice t-shirt or an embroidered hoodie, a notebook or a coffee mug. We even have stickers. Just go to revisionpath.com and click on merch at the top of the page or click or tap the link in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. 